Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is my good friend Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And it's might get a little weird today because I'm kind of feeling strange. Okay, great. That's one wonderful way to start off our podcast. Um, I'm going to go with the more professional route and tell all of our listeners who we are and what we're doing. So my name's Sammy. Your name is Ben. We are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our content in various corners of the internet. You'll find me at autoguide.com as well as its YouTube page. And you can find Ben at a number of publications including Automobile, Haggerty, Driving Line, and what else is there, Ben? Uh, Super Street. Super Street and Driving.ca. I love every every time I think about you, I think of all of a new publication you probably write for. Um, this week we have some... You know, you could picture my face or the melodious no, tone of my voice. Instead, it's just a faceless corporate representation of what I do economically. That's what you think of when you think of me. Well, we used to know each other much better, and now we only know each other through our professional endeavors. It's true. Sammy and I only talk for an hour every week, and sometimes not even that. Yeah, sometimes less than that. Like last week's. Um, this week, we, are, we definitely have at least an hour to talk. Um, oh. I've, got, I've got some cool cars to talk about. You've got some lukewarm cars to talk about. Wow. So let me start off by saying I went all the way to Palm Springs, California, because BMW was hosting me in what they call was a test fest. I got to drive a whole bunch of cars that they have on sale and a couple that they actually don't have on sale. And they also revealed a bunch of new cars. And then they took me into a secret room where they told me about cars that I can't tell anybody about. So we won't talk about that. They revealed the new Alpina V7. They revealed uh, M versions of the X3 and X4. And I'm going to skip all of the information about those because I got to drive a brand new Rolls-Royce Cullinan SUV. What so do you wait, think of that? wait, are you saying that Rolls Royce and BMW are somehow related? Yeah, not somehow related. They are related. Tell Rolls me more. Royce, Rolls Royce is in the BMW group um, of automakers that includes uh, Mini and BMW. I think and BMW <laughs> uh, motorcycle a, it's called, That is not it's a called, group. I'm sorry. Motor rat. That's not, a, that's not a group. That's not a group. What? Two people is not a group. If Hollow Notes were not a group, they were a duo. If BMW is just BMW and Rolls Royce, that's not BMW group. There's got to be more to it. But I think it also includes the motorcycle division, which is BMW Motorrad. Okay. And you said Mini? And Mini. Yeah, I said Mini. And I guess Alpina is a part of BMW. No, I, uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Okay, I, I retract it. I'm did sorry. I did, did we did we get through it? Let's talk about cars. All oh, right, um, Alpina. No, not Alpina. What was I talking about? Cullinan, Rolls Royce Cullinan. This is the first time I've driven a Rolls Royce before, and suitably it is the SUV, the high sided SUV. And let me tell you, why in is one that, word, why is that suitable? Because that's all that's going on these days. Just everything is an SUV. Do you want to drive a new car? Well, too bad it's an SUV. I can tell you what I don't want to drive. What a Rolls Royce SUV. But go on. Well, you well, you didn't get to drive it. Now I got to drive it. Um, ben, this is the biggest thing ever. It is huge. It is just there's just more of it. Every time you look at it, it just seems bigger than the last time you look at it. I think it grows. I th- I don't know what they're feeding it, but it is on steroids. It's huge. It's and it's actually like it is substantially large. It is fifty eight hundred pounds. 
without anything special about it. That's just the way it weighs before you add additional features and options. And, and of course, I, and I, because I, I, this is a Rolls Royce, you can outfit it any every single way you want. Yeah, you can do pretty much anything you want, right? Well, it, it, you know, I just want to point out, you're saying it's very, very big, right? Like huge, like humongous big, like the universe? Yes. Okay, I want to point out that it has 68 cubic feet of cargo space inside of it with, <laughs> the, with the rear seats folded, which is less than a Subaru Forester. It does not have a lot of cargo space. I've also noticed that. When the seats are up, it has a very limited amount of cargo space. I think it was like 20 cubic feet or Yeah, something. it's right around there. So, there's some so where is the things. space, Sammy? Like, <laughs> it's in the passenger area, which is very interesting because the way you can get the Cullinan outfitted is that there can be a partition between the the passenger area and the cargo area that ensures that the 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 space for the rear seat passengers is like perfectly kept and isolated um, separately from where the luggage and the front seat passenger and driver are. So it's like super – what's the word I'm looking for? Exactly, isolated. Is it, car, is it an opaque partition or is it glass? I believe it's glass so that the driver can see out of it. Mm, I don't know if that's cool. <laughs> can I tell you that th- when the moment you close the door in this car, it's – Unlike any other vehicle I've ever been in, it feels like a vault, and there's no vault. Did I say vault or vault? You said vault. Calm down. Vault. Okay, I panicked. Um, It is just so quiet, and every action and interaction you have with the vehicle is really um, separated from the world in a in a completely. It's it's distracting almost just how different it is from every other vehicle that I've driven. This, the hood also is forever long. It's got to be, it feels like a 20 foot hood. And at the end of it is this, I believe it's called the Spirit of Ecstasy. It's this um, logo, the Rolls Royce logo. And that's pretty much where you point and shoot the, 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 the car to send it to where it needs to go. Piloting it is really isolating. It's extremely numb. It feels so strange and disconnected from the world. The powertrain, this is a 6.7 liter twin turbo v12 engine that makes ooh, it makes 563 horsepower and 627 pound feet of torque and it never feels particularly in an in um a hurry it it just gets going and then kind of like you look down at the speedometer and you're going uh very fast it just is very bizarre in that way well, you know, but a 6,000-pound car, that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, and you know you were saying that the vehicle feels disconnected and numb. Um, I've always – I've driven a few Rolls Royces, not the Cullinan, but but uh, coupes and, and sedans and convertibles. And, and I, all of them together, they have this feeling where it's more like – it's more like you're at the tiller of a of a sail sh- sailing ship, yeah. And you're kind absolutely. of you're 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 not really driving it so much as you're navigating it. It really does feel that way. It feels like the world is passing you by in a in a Cullinan. You're just getting through it. Um, and this isn't a you... negative. Like I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing. Yeah. I'm saying it's like a unique experience. It very much is a unique experience. I'm not trying to say it like a bad thing either. It just feels like. You you can you can leisurely look and drive this vehicle quickly. You know what I mean. You can leisurely drive the car fast. It's it's interesting in that way. Now the car that we had wasn't fitted with all of the the luxuries and amenities that uh, a Rolls Royce might have. Like it didn't have a fancy fridge for your champagne, and it don't well, wait, think it had not? those. It just didn't. It just they didn't equip it with that. 
Uh, maybe because one of the earlier models that, um, or one of the newer models that these cars um, on the press that they have on the press fleet. I also think that they probably don't want to fit their media car with too many goodies because these things are probably selling at a decent clip, and they got they probably sell every one that they make. Well, don't they? I mean, I would assume that they're. Is it really a volume vehicle? I thought that uh, how much volume does Rolls Royce do in a year, and aren't most of the vehicles already spoken for in the ordering process? That's, that's always I, that's, that's been my impression. Yeah, yeah, that's what I imagine. I don't know how many they sell. Um, I imagine it's a very low number um, in comparison to the bigger branch of BMW and Mini. But it was a very luxurious car. But there's very small quirks that I didn't I found very odd about it. For example, I would have imagined that. A, a Rolls-Royce SUV would be made – could could be used to tow something like a boat or your horses. Yeah. And there's no tow – you cannot tow with the with the Cullinan. What, what? Not at all? There's no way to put a hitch on it. There's a big-ass sensor there and cameras that you it would ruin the way that the car works. So did you talk to BMW about this and ask them why that design decision was made? Because it kind of – I mean <laughs> – I'm not saying that people would necessarily buy this vehicle to tow with, but the idea that it's never going to be possible <laughs> seems a little weird. Yeah, it seemed, it, I agree with you. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of very strange, small quirks with the car. I don't know, because I do believe that maybe um, Cullinan buyers have a way to transport their goods wherever they need to put them. They just have the money to and, and resources to be like, yeah, put my boat over there. And no, then no, it gets you're, you're 100% right. <laughs> I, I think that anyone who owns a Cullen, this is like maybe they have at least 10 other cars. <laughs> yeah, including a specific. Did you, did you know the average Bugatti Viron owner has 40 cars? No, 40 yeah, vehicles? 40 like vehicles. It's, they're in possession of 40 vehicles. Yes, not that they've owned 40 vehicles in their lifetime. I, I've owned close to 40 vehicles I in my life. <laughs> I'm not I a, know I'm you. I'm not a Viron owner. Um, <laughs> like right now. Let me tell you. There's also – it has a shifter, a column-mounted shifter that I'm telling you is really small and um, it's very weird how tiny this column the, shifter is. The word is. is dainty. Dainty, yes. It is tiny. It is the size of a pen maybe. And that's how you change gears. Imagine you have a, an item that is the size of a pen. And it doesn't really feel hefty or heavy or anything like this. It is a dainty little, um, like, stock that is behind the, the steering column. And you just pull it towards you and put it into gear. And it's very, very different from what I imagined. I mean, if you look at this car, it's comically large. It is huge. In fact, when I took – when I popped the hood to take photos of the engine, I had to get on my tippy toes just to get a shot of it. That's how tall this car is. And to think that the like some of the controls are so laughably small, it's as if uh, I, I don't know how that design language works. Do you think it's just stuff that was imported from other Rolls Royce models? And uh, here's here's the thing: I'm, I'm going to be very honest about this vehicle and and what I think about it. It was entirely built because there was a market for it, not because mm-hmm. anyone at Rolls Royce had a passion to build an SUV. So the fact that that's the the impetus behind its design suggests to me that there wasn't like a lengthy process where they really, really thought about things like interior switchgear as needing to be different from other products in their portfolio. I think you're onto something. Um, and we see this with a lot of uh, exotic and luxury automakers. I mean, the Bentley Bentega has hit the market as well, and so has the Urus, which I believe is based on the same platform as that uh, Bentega. These are ultra-expensive ultra, ultra expensive vehicles that are meant to cater to a different audience than the usual SUV. 
and I think the colony fits that bill exactly. And it and it does feel a little bit different in its own in its own way. It has all these very small um, details and has a uh, a beautiful a beautiful interior, simply beautiful. It does feel really nautical themed. It's it's full of wood and nice um, light colored upholstery, and I really do like the way that that looks. There was also some big um, displays in it, as well as a touch screen. I believe that for the first time that they have a touchscreen. It also has a an air suspension setup, which is designed to make it um, perform better off-road, which I was I was curious about, mainly because the weight of such a vehicle would, would help it in, in some off-road situations to ensure that it has traction. But in addition to that, you can press a button and the electronically controlled shock absorber uses an air compression system to actively push down any wheel that it detects as losing traction to ensure that every wheel is in contact with the ground and maximum torque is being provided to all wheels. Wait, it pushes the wheel the, down? Like, yeah. It, this is kind of reminds me of those systems where like you're floating over a pothole and it pulls the wheel up so that you don't get damaged by the pothole. You know what I'm talking about, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that in reverse. In reverse. So if you are stuck and you're getting like limited traction in the sand or mud or, or snow – um, the car would just push more downwards to inch, to try to provide you with traction. Isn't that interesting? It, it is interesting. Does it work? Like, in, did I you feel it, it working? You didn't, didn't take it off. Take it off road. I was too nervous to take my first uh, Rolls Royce vehicle off road. We put it in a little bit of sand, and that was it. And I didn't notice it behaving any um, unnatural or natural. Um, uh, any unusually than any more unusually than I would have expected. It okay, be. here's another question. So, you know, we were talking about how people we don't expect anyone to take the Rolls Royce Cullinan off road, right? I'm sorry, we don't expect people to tow with it because right. it's it's you know a, a, a tenth vehicle. They have other vehicles to tow if they need to. Why would anyone take it off road then? Like, why? Well, why I mean, the pretense? That the- why isn't the pre- that the? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's. Uh, you're going to say, isn't that the reason this was built? That's not the reason this was built. This was built to make money, and <laughs> n- <laughs> as opposed it, to all those other ones. No, as opposed to a vehicle like sure, you could take a Land Rover off road, and it's very expensive. But those vehicles have a history of being designed for off road use. Rolls Royce has no such history, so there doesn't really seem to be in my mind a need to create an off road capacity for the Cullinan. But they did it. Okay, fine. But why not also give it towing capacity? Something else <laughs> that you don't expect anyone ever to use. It's, like, it's why pick and choose. Like, it just seems strange. I, I agree with you. I agree with you in, in a sense because I I am not sure what these people will be what what these kinds of buyers will be doing with the um with the Rolls with the Rolls Royce. I don't know. We don't know the I, maybe you and I don't know the secret life lifestyle of bajillionaires who can afford these things and all of their um all of their recreational activities. But I will admit I think that this thing I think off roading is one of the defining features of a SUV, be it a, a very expensive one or even a very cheap one. Uh, a, a, an SUV like the Subaru Crosstrek, it does the trick. You know, it can go off-roading. It can r- drive in some sand I, or, some, or some mud I, or some snow. I got to disagree. And if that can do that. You. I got to disagree with you. A, a Honda CRV and a RAV4, I mean, those were never intended to be taken off-road. And they're super popular. Uh, Mazda in CX-9. A, in, a, in, a, in a in a Form they can't go. They can't go off roading like say a Wrangler can or a. That's the only one I can go or a G wagon, <laughs> right? But Would you take a CX nine off road in any situation? 
A CX-9 off-road. Yeah, like a gravel road or a sandy road or even that, okay, snow. Okay, gravel roads and sandy roads are not off-road. Off-road Those are not the no actual road. road. Okay, no road. Would you do that? Yeah, I mean, if I had to park in a field, I suppose. Oh, park in a field now. That's the, <laughs> that's the low bar we have to clear. And a sedan totally can't park in a field. I don't, well, I don't want to put my sedan in, in a field. You couldn't take a Ford Flex off-road. And <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I, I'm just saying. I think that the definition of SUV is 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 maybe wider than than you know off road capability is a must. I'm, um, also, I'm also being a stick in the mud because I really don't like this vehicle. I think it's. Um, I think it's a bit ugly. Okay, not only is it ugly, I think it's. Uh, what's the word? Cynical. You're cynical. I think it's yes, and I think it's below. I think it's below Rolls Royce. I think it's this is a company that didn't need to make a ploy for for the cash, and yet they did, and I think that kind of sullies the brand a bit, at least in my mind. I think the Lamborghini Even Urus the is other- the same thing. It's like it's a vehicle that doesn't need to exist, and there's no there's no reason for it to exist within the brand itself. Lamborghini, yeah, they made the LM002 a super long time ago, um, but that's not what this is. That's not what the Urus is. Uh, Rolls Royce has never made a vehicle like this. There's no need for it to make a vehicle like this, but it's doing it because it's profitable. And at what point are you just like every other car brand? Like, at what point do you just throw in every throw away everything that makes you special and say our brand doesn't really mean anything as long as we can generate cash? Okay, so I kind of agree with you, and I kind of don't agree with you. I think SUVs are uh, are can be luxurious, can be ultra luxurious. In fact, the bigger the vehicle, the more um, uh, luxury appointments you can have in it in terms of materials, in terms of that sound deadening that I was talking about that makes a Rolls Royce just so much different than another vehicle uh, out there, another car especially. That is to say, though, if you've ever seen a Phantom or a Ghost, they're very big. They are SUV-sized just in the shape of a car. Yeah. So the Cullinan should just exist because the other vehicles are just that large too. This is all-wheel drive and has air suspension that can lift and lower and apparently go off-road. So, I mean, it. I think it's, it was a natural step for them to make. It, a natural step? You think yeah, the Cullinan it, was a natural it, this step? This is luxury motoring. This is the way it is. Oh, and wow. I think in, in contrast, the Wraith and the, and the Phantom – not the Phantom, sorry. The Wraith and the – what is the other one? The Dawn and the Wraith are less Rolls Royce than than the Cullinan because those are two door or two seater vehicles. Yeah, which Sorry. the company has like two-door a 100 vehicle. year history of building. But I feel like the, the these are supposed to be ultra luxury um, vehicles and when they when they lop off two extra doors or put a a, a roofless variant of the car, they're getting a, they're getting away from that ultra luxury limo like and isolated drive that Rolls Royce should be known for. I I don't think I don't I can't agree with that whatsoever. I I think that the isolated drive is merely one aspect of their modern iteration. But the the reason Rolls are so expensive is because of their brand equity, and I think a vehicle like the the SUV eats away at that brand equity. But if you look at the history of the company, mm-hmm. um, they've been building open top cars since the very beginning, and it's it's not. At, I don't think having an an open top car is less luxurious than a closed roof car in, in any way. I'm going to disagree with you. I think what I love most about this Rolls Royce was, and what I noticed immediately was just how luxurious it felt inside the vehicle 
and how isolated and disconnected it was from the world. So it you're saying original, little... the original Rolls Royces I don't know are second-rate I, I can't. I can't remember. Well, every original, any older car is so different than what we consider uh, a modern vehicle. Yes, I mean, but, the, but the, the whole reason the Rolls Royce... Cheapest vehicle that we can think of in, in, in terms of the Corolla <laughs> is such a... Day, is such a departure from the original Corolla in, in a way. Yes, but a company like Rolls-Royce and, and a company like Bentley are entirely brand constructs that are based on history. And without that history, they fail. I and think they're about you, this experience, though. No, they're okay, about, if that were true... That's what, lux, that's what luxury is about. No, if man. that were true, then the, the Mercedes uh, experiment uh, of 10 years ago would have worked perfectly well. What was the name of that, that absurd car that nobody bought? Maybach. Maybach, right? Maybach is just built just as well as these vehicles, and yet no one cares about Maybach because Maybach doesn't mean anything. Ferrari sells cars because it has history. That's why they're able to command such a premium on the market, despite the fact that a Corvette Zero One will go toe to toe with almost everything in their lineup. It's right. it's it's an it's an, it's a brand that's been built o- over nearly a hundred years of motoring. And so what but when how long do you build a brand and then how long 100 years. Wait? Yes, but then what are you going to do with that brand if your customers want an SUV? You don't have to make that SUV because you're owned by another company that takes care of things in volume. Rolls-Royce does not have to be a volume brand. It, it, but it chose to do this because it wanted to access the cash that's available if you sell this kind of product. I don't know, man. I really appreciate. It. I think that this car in particular goes toe to toe with some of the and and shows up what all of the luxury SUVs that we've seen. This outdoes yeah. it in so many oh, ways. Also, all those other vehicles that don't need to exist are shown up by this other vehicle that doesn't need to exist. That, I that's mean, the even thing. this entire segment it's, it's is a, a step up from an Escalade and a and a Range Rover. I mean, this is a special. I mean, what about the G wagon? What about the the Mercedes Benz G wagon in its current iteration? Sure. I mean, what about it? Why is that allowed to exist? Because it has history. It's been around for 40 years. Mm-hmm. The Cullinan has no history. And at the same time, it's destroying the history of the brand. <laughs> don't, I don't, merely that's by existing. That's a contrasting opinion. That's merely insane. I don't think existing. so. I think that these vehicles are embarrassing. And I think we're going to look back on this era the same way we look back on things like the Volkswagen Phaeton and other vehicles that were overreaching their brand that really they're just a cash grab that won't have any importance in, in automotive history aside from that. It's I'm just an embarrassing you, I think, thing that Rolls-Royce did. I think rich people are going to grab these vehicles. Oh, so rich very, people are the arbitrary case now? They're going to they're going to love it. They're yeah, going to they're totally going to sell them. But you know what else sells? Pornography. And if Rolls-Royce had... What are we talking about? Hear me out. Hear me oh, out. Oh, right. Okay, here. You know you I always give dis- you a platform here. You ha- oh, thank you for being so generous for giving me a platform on our <laughs> shared podcast. That is such... You're a, you're a doll. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. You have to decide what your brand's about. And I've, I've had this conversation with editors who wanted to put up galleries of like uh, uh, auto show models and things like that. Stuff that has nothing to do with the auto industry. And the argument always was, oh, if we put up these models, we'll get clicks. Like we'll get lots of attention and and we're, we're going to get traffic because people want to see this. And my response to that is always, you know what? If traffic is all you care about, shift your business model to pornography because that gets more traffic than anything else. If that's what the If that's the business you're in, if you're in the business of traffic, then why are you writing about cars? 
the same argument to me applies to a brand like Rolls Royce. What business are you in? Are you in the business of making luxury cars with a strong history of excellence and style, et cetera, et cetera? Or are you a company that rides trends to just milk cash out of the pockets of the ultra rich? Figure out what it that sound is. Sound like they should never change whatever they've. No, ever, because they've just changed. They, just because they did want, they did this thing for so long, they can't. They can't make something new. They can't revolutionize their their there's own nameplate. Evolution and no, there's a difference between evolution and a cash grab, and that's what this is. And Rolls Royce is saying, okay, the money we can get from this is worth more than the brand equity we're going to lose. So the Cullinum is pornography for Rolls-Royce, in my opinion. This is a and, new and- vehicle. It still uses an engine that's not found in any of the other BMW. It might be related in some form to what's found in a full-fledged 7 Series, but this is a bespoke engine. These things are also built elsewhere from BMW. It's so removed from that world of mass market that BMW is, is known I- I'm for. not talking about BMW. I'm talking about Rolls-Royce. But and you make it sound like they're just they're just reaching in the same way because that's, that's exactly the way. exactly what they're doing. I'm if, telling you, okay, I think Sammy, this is, yeah. if that wasn't true, why haven't we always had a Rolls-Royce SUV? Because we've always had SUVs from England. And we've always had luxury SUVs from England. I think why has Rolls-Royce stayed out of the game? something like this now. They and they, they've seen firsthand that there's a demand for it. And that their customers have chif- shifted perspective from cars, just like everybody else, have shifted their own perspective from cars. Exactly. The second thing you said is true. There's a demand for it. They're going to make money with it, so they're going to do it. But it has nothing to do with the brand. But just if, if they didn't offer sedans, if they didn't offer an SUV, their sedans would, no, wouldn't sell as much. And as a result, their brand would start to decay. They're not a volume brand. And but I even then, disagree. you need to see these cars on the road to build that brand value going forward. I don't. And there's new generations of, of of buyers out there. Yeah, and those generations. I mean, I don't think you need to see a Rolls Royce going by on a regular basis to think, oh, I should buy a Rolls now that I'm a billionaire. I maybe. I think you could. I think you can argue for that. I'm trying right. to argue for that. So. I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree. I, I just think we have very, with that. very different perspectives on this vehicle. And I realize my opinion is a very strong one. But it's, it's honestly a vehicle that I have zero interest in and I think is an embarrassment. And I think this whole segment is an embarrassment. Okay. So, I mean, I will agree with you. I don't know what to say about the the this vehicle because it's for a demographic that I'm so disconnected with. I don't know what buyers of $500,000 um, luxury SUVs are really looking for. I think they're looking for a bespoke, special, unique experience that they can't have anywhere else. And I think that the the what's the name of this car? The Cullinan um, <laughs> delivers that. It really does. It it brings up a, a next level. The only other car that I thought was cooler than than this in this cl- kind of like unique, exclusive um, atmosphere. Is that weird two-door Range Rover? It was called the SV Coupe. Yeah, they and I thought that it. was the – yeah, they did. They built a couple of them. And I thought it was that was super sale, cool. Though. It was just a show vehicle. It was No, it was for sale for $200-something thousand dollars. No way. Yeah. I, when, I, when I read the cancellation report, it, they said it never went to market. It was never built because they couldn't what? justify it. Yeah. I mean it doesn't matter, but other than yes, to you know, gonna... stretch your credibility even further – I'm going to tell you, I think this is a real thing. <laughs> I think this is a real thing, quote of the day, unnamed automotive podcast. <laughs> you tell me to me every time. <laughs> I think this is the cool, this SV is, SV Coupe 
is great. No, I think uh, it's cool too. I don't see the the relation to to the atrocity that is the Cullinan. But what I'm trying to say is that there's there's these ultra rare exclusive vehicles that will cater to this this demographic. Anyways, let's talk. Let's change. I'm I feel like I'm I'm under the gun here. So let me let you take control of the podcast. What have you been driving? I, like I haven't been in control for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> With my extreme opinions about Rolls Royce. <laughs> uh, so I, I've driven a couple of vehicles. The first one I wanted to talk about is absolutely nothing to do with the Rolls Royce except for the general vague segment that it's in. And that's the 2019 Infiniti QX50, which is a vehicle I drove almost a year ago at its launch and I hadn't driven it since. So I decided to spend a week with it, and because uh, I'm going to be honest with you, the experiences that we have at these launch events, Sammy, you can back me up on this. They're they're very carefully curated and crafted so that we drive the vehicles in situations that highlight the best things about them. Is it, would would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and I will admit, like even with this Cullinan, I had such a limited experience with it, and I didn't get to to take it through my most familiar roads. You're in a you're in a whole new place, all by your uh, all by yourself. We're trying to keep. Uh, somebody else company and not bore them so you are just it there's a lot of things going on at once you don't get to enjoy or understand a vehicle in your own um on your own terms like you do when you have it for a week right exactly exactly and um so speaking to that uh it, it was also a completely different season because when i drove the car it was in california and it was bright and sunny and everyone was happy and when i had the qx50 this time it was cold and chilly and snowy and miserable so these are you know different realities mm-hmm. uh i remember really liking the qx50 in a lot of ways um the things that stood out for me when i first drove it was the interior mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know you liked it too sammy just the details the uh the materials that were used infinity really stepped it up and I thought it was far nicer than pretty much anything else in its segment. You know, the X3, anything like that, uh, just couldn't really measure up in terms of interior. Uh, I remember the uh, power being good and the drive being fine, uh, not, right. not particularly sporty like the older QX, but a or sorry, older QX50, but still something that you know uh, you're not going to be upset with. Right. So flash, flash forward to now, uh, I have kind of a different impression of the vehicle. I, I, I still like the interior. There, there's some of yeah. the switch gear feels a little more normal a year later, maybe because competitors have, have caught up. But um, I did not like the CVT in the vehicle. Um, the continuously variable transmission, it just felt buzzy. Uh, it just it felt like I was always off the line, like it really tacked the revs up and then kind of held them there in an awkward way. And I'm going through my, my notes from when I first drove it, and I didn't like it then either as much. And I think maybe what caused me to notice it more was the fact that, t- that this time the vehicle was riding on Pirelli Sato Zero winter tires. Oh, yes. Okay. Those yeah. are the absolute worst OEM snow tire on the market. It's not snow tire, but winter tire you can buy. They're, why? I agree with you. I agree with you 100%, and I need to know what you think is the deciding factor for some of these automakers to put those tires in particular on um, on some luxury vehicles that really could do better. Well, I, I talked – actually, it's interesting you should mention that. I talked – I, I, I had a conversation briefly with Patrick Danielson from Genesis here mm-hmm. in Canada. And he mentioned that 
a lot of the time the decision is made because of fit and size. So there are only so many tires available in the size that's engineered for the vehicle. Yep. And uh, as a result, you'll see something like the Sato Zero put on a vehicle that's intended to be a performance vehicle because it's the best option at that price and size. And the, I should mention the Sato Zeros, they're designed to be a, a like a, I, I use the word performance. It, on dry pavement, they're supposed to be good. Yeah, they're supposed to be better than the average snow tire because uh, on on a tire that's designed for snow, you have larger uh, tread blocks, and those blocks can squirm on dry pavement when you're. And core. sometimes those sipes will do the same thing too. Yeah, the siping can do that too. Exactly. So and make uh, noise. But the the flip side of that is when you're on snow or slush, they 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 whisk away uh, water a lot better. And they're able, better able to avoid hydroplaning, and they also are able to grip snow and maintain handling and acceleration when when there's actually a layer of snow on the ground. So if you want to perform, the word the performance snow tires generally cheat more in the direction of dry pavement. Although there are some like Blizzax and X Ice that do a good job all around. So uh, these Sato Zeros are garbage. They're the worst tire. Um, the car was not controllable. In certain situations, at low speeds, it, it was just sliding here and there. And this has nothing to do with Infinity. It's all the tires. It, it it was not pleasant to drive. And I think that the wheel spin associated with driving the car on those tires really had me noticing the CBT more. Isn't that wild that – I mean, we, know, we me and you have discussed this before, but tires make all of the difference in a car. It is the one way – all of the engineering of the car, if it wasn't for good tires, would be lost. That's how you get – um, all of that performance, all of that capability that the vehicle has has at its potential, if the tires are, are garbage, you won't feel any of it on the road. It just it's the biggest thing in a vehicle. And I feel I feel really sor- sorry to hear that your impression on the QX QX50 has sullied so much just a result of its winter driving uh, and its winter tire setup. Yeah, and and um, so other things to note, uh, it it. The the pro pilot assist and whatnot doesn't work great in the snow because yeah. the sensors get covered up. That's that's the uh, semi autonomous driving settings and uh, the you know um, adaptive cruise control and all that stuff. It's it's always going to be a tough sell in a winter climate. Um, I found that uh, other than that, the, the vehicle was comfortable. It, it still looks pretty good, uh, and I, and I really enjoyed the interior. I just kind of like the bloom is off the rose. I mean, it's I, I was surprised by. You know how much my opinion changed on this vehicle in such a short period of time. Oh, short a year. Right. Um, I want to agree with you, and I want to tell you that it's kind of it's kind of sad that I think one of the main reasons you would get a vehicle equipped with the driver assistance features like ProPilot Assist is to give you backup in tough situations, tough driving situations, including snow-covered roads or slush or when it's snowing heavily. And the fact that these systems do not know how to deal with the with the snow or are not a help in the snow, that's a problem, I think. It's, it's almost false advertising. A driver's aid system that does not help you when you need it the most. I agree. It, you said your last sentence is exactly how I feel when you need it the most. And it's, it's just a problem that, you know, is, is we haven't been able to engineer our way out of yet. 
but as a result, it means that these systems are actually more for the more for a luxury or leisure purpose in comparison. Because on the dry pavement, it means that I can take my eyes off the road. I can I can relax a little bit because I know that this smart camera and sensor array can can back me up a little bit. And I think that's really um, that's going to enforce or promote bad habits on the road. You know, and I would like to see uh, a move away for Nissan from the CVT world. I don't know if we're going to get it. I doubt that's going to happen. But this, at least in their luxury vehicles, I mean, they don't have a CVT in the um, Q60 or the Q50 sedan and coupe. And I know, and I know they don't have it in the QX70. Although that vehicle is getting really old, yeah. And they don't have it in the QX80 either. But that's a big old V8 powered yeah. body but, on frame vehicle. I mean, this vehicle has 258 horsepower and 288 pound feet of torque. Those are really good numbers for a four cylinder. And mm-hmm. you could, but really... those numbers are down from its six cylinder days. Yes, they are. I think it was 325 horsepower. Uh, but it, it was uh, also, most, sorry. It was also very thirsty as a vehicle. And the, <laughs> the thing true. about the previous generation of this vehicle, I liked it. It was kind of mm-hmm. like a stealth wagon. It, it really just kind of felt like a taller wagon. But inside, there was no space whatsoever behind yeah. the front two seats. It, it was really, really small. And I, when I say no space, I mean like less than the Rolls-Royce Cullinan. It's, it's like <laughs> – So the, the, then what's important, I want to talk to you, what they've done from the last generation one to the new generation one is they took all the criticisms of – the last generation QX50, which was it was small and and thirsty, and they made those the it looks like they made those the emphasis for the new generation model. Yeah, I mean it, this is this is a way better all around vehicle. If if, if, you, and, if and you're it judging has a benchmark in terms of interior quality and and design, I think that still is fantastic. If, if you don't care about things like performance driving then the, the the new QX50 is much better. The older QX50 was aimed at a demographic that I'm not sure exists, and that's people who wanted a rear-wheel drive performance wagon that looked like a crossover. And, and I'm, we, and I'm in that demographic. Of, yeah, now we kind of wish that these things uh, were more common. Yeah, I like I liked that demographic. That's my demographic. But I realize that it's very small, and it, I don't begrudge Infinity for changing and going for... Um, a vehicle that's more friendly for the buyers that actually exist in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do have an issue. I said they, they were they were targeting that um, that criticism about how how thirsty it was on fuel, and I don't think they they achieved any serious improvement. You don't think so? I found the VC Turbo to be great in one circumstance only, and that's long highway drives at okay. at the speed limit and and not really pushing it in terms of um, passing or anything like that. And that's where all CVTs, especially small displacement turbos paired with CVTs excel. This was not a huge improvement and I and I feel like I didn't notice the advantage of this really impressively engineered engine, this VC turbo. It was particularly bad in the city as I recall. Now I'm actually holding the V the the piece inside the variable compression engine that allows it to be variable compression. Does Infinity know that you took it out of that <laughs> car? Maybe I have your weird dismantled engine version of the car. <laughs> I, it's it's quite heavy. It's a solid billeted piece of, of aluminum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's aluminum. It might, it might be steel, actually. And it, it allows the, the vehicle to change its displacement um, with a computer control by uh, changing, I believe, what is, it's, it's the, the distance traveled by the piston um, inside, the, inside the motor. I'm a little fuzzy because it's been a little while since I, I had that briefing. 
But it's been on my desk for like a full year because I like having it in my hands when we're talking on the podcast because it's it's heavy and solid and it reminds me that even if Sammy doesn't agree with me, I'm still valuable as a human being <laughs> and there's still something anchoring me to this reality. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Sammy, speaking of anchored to reality, you didn't just drive the Cullinan when you were there. You drove a whole bunch of other things. Can you tell us about one more, just one right. from your Drew giant BMW yeah, test, fest, test fest thing? Okay, this is a pretty important one, I think, in some ways. I drove the BMW <laughs> Z4. Wait, isn't that the Toyota Supra? Isn't it? I don't know how to if, answer that. <laughs> I don't know either. No, I just told you what it is. It's a BMW Z4. But it is very closely related to the Supra. In fact, BMW and Toyota collaborated on on the development of this car in some way. Um, in BMW, some way. <laughs> I think they... they they put their minds together and, and decide to share their what what they have in mind for a rear wheel drive um, coup. The BMW is a drop top. It is um, impressively light, to be honest. But that's because I had the four cylinder version of the car, known as the Z uh, sorry the Z4 S Drive 30, and it has a base price of just about fifty thousand dollars. It makes 255 horsepower and 295 pound-feet of torque. It weighs, I think this is a dry weight, 2,300 pounds. Yeah, uh, sorry, no, 3,200 no. <laughs> 3, pounds. I got okay. dyslexic there for a moment. 3,200 pounds. It does 0 to 16 in 5.2 seconds, which honestly felt like a lifetime when I was driving this car. It wow. did not feel very fast. And that might be because I drove this car with a six-cylinder, essentially a six-cylinder coupe version of this car in the Supra in a pre-production stage, and it felt really fast. A whole second to 60, uh, over a second to 60 faster. And I was more impressed with the six-cylinder and the coupe than I was in this very short drive of the Z4. Well, I think that makes sense, right? I mean, this is the entry-level car with two less cylinders and versus mm-hmm. the top Zoot Supra. I, I think that you would want the Supra to be faster. And it felt, not only did it feel faster, it felt more... Um, I don't want to say refined, but it felt more substantial. It felt like a car that was serious. And the Z4 felt a little bit more aloof. It actually felt really light and agile and quirky and 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 fun to drive, but in the way that a drop top is. In the way yeah, that I understand what you're saying. In the way that maybe an MX5 can feel. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Now, I, I, yeah, um, uh, hold on. MX5s are the benchmark when it comes to top-down motoring. And in very many ways sports cars affordable sports cars if the z4 feels a lot like a like a like an mx5 that's a good thing because it's going to feel agile and fun and 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 cute in a way but in a bad way because it's supposed to be a bmw and it's supposed to have this this what's the tagline for bmw the ultimate driving machine and i didn't feel that out of the z4 now uh how does it compare to the previous z4 this like, is we, we, we know it's we, we, this is a good, very good question. But this, the previous Z4, like I said, felt like a very robust machine. It was it felt tight and heavy, and it felt precise in the way that this new Z4 doesn't feel. But as a result, it didn't have the fun factor that this new Z4 has. So you've got a you you there's a it's like a teeter totter. It's like a seesaw. The old Z4 was the serious drop uh, drop top. And this new one is this lightweight, enjoyable, um, agile vehicle. Does that make sense? 
I guess so. I mean, I haven't driven a Z4 in a very long time, or perhaps ever. I don't remember, to be honest. Right. Uh, the Z, <laughs> driven the Z3, but uh, it's. I know that BMW has had a hard time convincing people to buy this vehicle. Yeah, and I don't know if this new one will will make it any easier. It, it kind of feels like they build it out of obligation. Like they, you know, we built the Z3 and we made a big deal out of it, and then when the four came along. It's just, well, we need to have a roadster in the showroom, so let's do it. And um, I guess they found a way to split costs with Toyota on it this time, so that probably right. helps their bottom line. Uh, it's just, I don't know. They're not super serious about that market. It's like the... I, I don't there's, know a better way, there's a better way for me to, to make an analogy here. The Z4, I said, it felt like a, rear, a front-engine rear-wheel drive came in, if you remember me saying that. The, the Supra feels like that. Sorry, did I say that right? You, it doesn't matter. No, the but, Supra that I drove felt like a front-engine rear-wheel drive came in. It felt very sporty, very serious, very fun to drive. The Z or the Z4 does not feel like a drop-top version of that. It doesn't feel anything close to a Boxster. Um, and like I said, it feels closer to an MX-5 than anything else. It was. It, it's a little bit of a disappointment in one way, but it's still fun to drive. Um, it just didn't feel like the serious performance machine that I was expecting it to be, especially with its connection to Toyota's Halo sports car. So there's there's one more vehicle I wanted to talk about before we wrap things up this week, and we'll talk sure. about it quickly. But uh, it, it it it's again it it comes uh, in under the the same family generally as the Rolls Royce. That now that Rolls Royce has decided to sully its name by stepping into this particular ring. And that's the uh, the 2019 Subaru Forester, which, as if longtime listeners will recall, is Sammy's favorite AI-assisted <laughs> automobile. And in fact, um, Sammy, if Subaru sold an electronic camera that watched you sleep, and then when you woke up, played you like a greatest hits package of what you did in the night, and then sent that information to Subaru to be analyzed and perhaps monetized in some way, would you buy that camera? I mean, assuming that there's some sort of safety benefit in it for me, yeah, I would totally buy that. The camera. safety benefit is that Subaru knows what you're doing all night long. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's really safer or less safe than how you normally sleep because I've never seen you sleep. In fact, I don't think anyone has. Uh, we've got a lot of questions about that. Mm. But um, so I drove a version of the Forester that did not have this camera system because really? I value my privacy and I'm not yet ready to give myself over to the can't singularity. Uh, yeah, I, I drove the Sport, the Forester Sport, which is uh, a vehicle that has exactly the same engine as every other version of the Forester. <laughs> Uh, it has the same four-cylinder engine with the same amount of horsepower, yet it's called the Sport. Why is it called the Sport? I know. Pick me, teacher. It's it, Tell me, Sammy. Because it has orange accents? It has orange accents that honestly look pretty cool. Um, it's got uh, some – it kind of has – I think it has a different air dam up front. It has side skirts. It's a pretty decent-looking vehicle, t- uh, in my opinion. And not only is it a decent-looking vehicle – it is one of the best driving SUVs in its class, and it's one of the best driving SUVs I've piloted in a long time. And I was surprised by how much I liked it, especially after having spent time in the Ascent and just been so bored. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I was like the Ascent. Remember we talked about it? The Ascent is totally fine, but there's nothing yeah, interesting there's nothing, about it. Exactly. It's but the exactly Forester it. is definitely interesting. And it's not only is it more interesting than the Ascent, which is a low bar, it's more interesting than the Outback. That's wild. That's insane. 
the Outback to me is the most Subaru-y Subaru. I've had this conversation with you before. Perhaps, uh, perhaps, but not the best <laughs> driving of the Subaru SUV Trio. This not Ford, anymore, yeah. No, this Forester is a blast. It is You're, fun. I you was sound a, indoctrinated. You I sound was in, Oh, yeah, I'm indoctrinated. You're the one... <laughs> Who's writing love letters to an artificial intelligence that can never love you back? First I mean, of all, it's called Driver Focus. <laughs> um, the fact that you know its name is a little is a little off putting. Did you use the um, different drive mode settings with this car? This is something that's supposed to be better fit for the the sport version of the Forester. It I has them these a two bit. buttons. Si called, sport yeah. sharp. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I used them a bit. They were fine. Uh, they I just, don't do I, anything that impressive, do you No, think? I think the chassis is just the best part. I think it's it just great. actually wants to turn, and uh, it, it's relatively communicative. Uh, it's you, you know what's going on underneath the tires, which is super surprising for a vehicle that historically has not been like that unless you've got the, the Forester XT. And even then, it's not necessarily something you would have picked as an enthusiast vehicle. So I think this is a rare case where the sport model actually is fun to drive. And the other fun thing about it is since it doesn't have uh, eyeball monitor brain zap function, it doesn't turn you into a human battery to power the AI um, necropolis that's going to take over the entire planet. So, very, very good. That's a great. That's a, great a huge thing. advantage. Uh, I just Let's, we got to keep talking. I need to ask you. You sound super enthusiastic about this, but there are still people out there who are not happy with the new um, Forester for two main reasons. One, no turbo engine offered at all, and this two point five liter um, four cylinder uh, flat four doesn't make a ton of horsepower. And two, the C- there's still a CVT that you're going to have to convince some enthusiasts about. But, but it is way- a lot better than the Infinity CVT, which is interesting because yeah. the Infinity has so much more power. And usually torque is something that can paper over the problems with the CVT. Uh, in this case, the, the Subaru doesn't have much torque at all. And yet it still feels relatively engaging with a continuously variable transmission. This is important. I'm telling you this is important because I remember when I drove this car back in, I think it was July – um on the on the first drive i remember being quite enthused with it and then when i had it for some comparisons i again was was very happy with it even with and i and i do believe that that driver assistance feature is important for the for the reasons we said before the amount of driver assistance features out there and other distractions in our car uh, are taking our eyes off the road and these things help um us pay attention um where was I going with this? I, was, I don't know. I, you're just indoctrinated by this robot and you're saying anything the robot told, tells you to say. I was being told by enthusiasts and other um, car buyers that they really wanted that turbo engine back in the Forester. And they potentially thought that the CVT was um, was not a good fit. And, and I yet think- they're totally cool with the robot watching everything they do. That no, everyone, gl- everyone glosses over There's that. a huge problem with our priorities when we're focused on the CVT and not the fact that there's a, you know, vastly superior intelligence plotting against us every time you turn the key. So there's one thing we need to uh, – so you don't seem to mind the, the lack of a turbo or the CVT in this car. No, I enjoyed this vehicle. There was not a time where I was like, oh, I would like more power. This isn't fun. I did not okay. have that thought, which is crazy because it only has 182 horsepower and I know. 76 pound-feet of torque. And it's really good on gas. Now we sound like a fanboy club, so I'm going to stop this. I can't wait to drive the, the Forester's strongest competitor, which I believe is the RAV4. Uh, it has been redone for this year, and I think it will have something – um, to say about how we feel about this. The it, it might, it might, but I have a hard time seeing the RAV4 as a, 
driving as balanced and in- interestingly as the Forester. I think that the RAV4, it's coming from a front-wheel drive-derived platform. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a little pushy compared mm-hmm. to the Forester. Uh, it's it's just, just my opinion. Okay. Uh, I have some more questions. Uh, if you wanted to to ask me what uh, I thought about some BMWs that I took on the track, any questions? I took the BMW M2 competition. Remember when I told you how much I love the BMW M2 competition? Yeah. I got to finally put it through its paces on the track. And not only that, but I did it after driving um, a BMW M4 CS. I did it after driving the new M340i. And I did it after driving the um, Mini JCW. A bunch of cars on the track I put I put through their paces. And I still found the M2 competition to be the perfect fit for my um style of driving in fact so much so it's half the price of that m4 cs coupe i was talking about half and, the price yeah and the 2019 m4 cs coupe was Don't they have the same engine a hundred and three thousand dollars wow who's buying that car and the m2 competition was fifty eight thousand. so a little less than half the, a little yeah a little less than half the price i'm gonna be honest that's crazy <laughs> that is crazy but the m2 is actually a little bit heavier about 200 pounds heavier um it's much less powerful it's 405 horsepower versus 454 horsepower but i had so much fun in this m2 it is it is undeniably one of the best vehicles that bmw's m division makes today and i cannot and i cannot emphasize that enough so you're telling me if i want to spend twenty five hundred dollars per pound (laughs) i can get something lighter yes okay Okay, so I think that was a pretty good uh, roundup of some of the vehicles we've we've talked about. We've never had, I think, so many vehicles. And I think the upcoming weeks we're going to have a lot of cars to talk about. And next week, I'm going to tell you about some crazy cars, man. Well, tell me what, what crazy cars. All right. I drove a McLaren 600LT Spider. And this, and not only did I drive it on the street, I drove it on the track. Um, and this is an unbelievable vehicle that I can't wait to tell you about. When's the McLaren SUV coming? They say never. Yeah, exactly. You know why? Because they care about their brand. Because they have only, what, 100 people working for them and they can't make any more cars. Sure. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> what else are you going to talk about? Is that it? Which is McLarens and SUVs? Um, what do you want to talk about? I can talk I'm about gonna, another. Gonna... Yes. Go on. Go. No, you go. <laughs> no, please, please, Sammy, after you. Uh, I can talk about another SUVs that I'll be driving. Next week, I'll be doing a fun boxy SUV comparison with one of my colleagues. And it'll either be the Jeep Wrangler Rubicon or a Mercedes-Benz G550 that I can talk to you about. Well, I think we should definitely talk about those vehicles because I also drove a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon, um, Mm -hmm. the two-door version. And I believe you drove the four-door version. Mm -hmm. So that would be an interesting comparison, I think. So that's definitely on the on the docket. And I also wanted to bring up the uh, my recent time in the Acura RDX, which I took on a very, very, very long road trip recently uh, with interesting results. Um, and also, I will next week be driving the 2019 or 2020. Let me look here. I have the materials directly in front of me. Uh, it's the redesigned Kia Soul. Nice. I yeah. really love the Soul, and I can't wait to see how their new generation model uh, comes along. Yeah, I'll be heading to San Diego to drive that. It is the 2020 model, and I'm sure I'll have lots of impressions because, like Sammy, I also like the Soul. Fancy. So let's 
remind our listeners where they can find all of our photos of the cars that we've driven, as well as past episodes. Uh, I think the best place to do it is on our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you go there, you can see a listing of all of our past episodes. You can click on an episode and you can see photos of the cars that we drove. And you can also subscribe to this podcast using a bunch of buttons near the top of the How do buttons work, Sammy? How do buttons (laughs) work? You press them. (laughs) With the mouse? (laughs) Yes, with your mouse. Or Or your your trackpad. Or your trackball. Um, And... And you can subscribe to our podcast using whatever podcast client you listen you you use every single day. So if it's Spotify or uh, Apple Podcast or iTunes or Google Play Music, we're on all of those bad boys. So just hit that subscribe button and please send us a review as well because we need the feedback. We're desperate for it. And if you want to get in touch with us, there's a lot of ways you can do that as well. Um, you can do it, like Sammy said, on the podcast webpage. There's a way to do it. You can go to Twitter if you want to uh, dip your toes into that cesspool. You can get Sammy at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. If you want mm-hmm. to get in touch with me, uh, you can, uh, of course, send a message through the form on the website. But you can also email me at Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can go at Hunting Benjamin on Instagram where everyone's friendly and just shares cool photos and no one's a jerk. Uh, I wanted to shout out to uh, Dennis who got in touch with us last week about, yeah. uh, on the website. He we, we had talked about automatic windshield wipers and how they don't really work. <laughs> and uh, he mentioned that um, the reason why he, he now understands and is grateful for the fact that he has automatic windshield wipers and interval wipers on his Volvo. This is a cool feature that uh, I, I believe a number of GM vehicles have as well, where you can turn off the automatic feature if you don't like it and just go to a straight interval. That seems like it would be something super easy for every automaker to implement. Let's do it because right now I'm driving a Ram Limited that is doing a terrible job of clearing light rain. I had a good time with it in snow this week, but as soon as it started to rain, it just refused to clear the windshield because it's automatic. There was nothing I could do about it, and it's super frustrating. But anyway, until next week. <laughs> thank what, you. Actually, what Ben is trying to say is thank you for the feedback and keep it coming. Yes, we, we appreciate love that. hearing from you guys. And uh, everybody, uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.